Shalom everyone, I'll be reading to you from the latest Points to Ponder essay, this time for the Torah portion of Mishpatim. The subject is the paradoxes of freedom. The Torah isn't just stories or tales of signs and miracles. It is also a myriad of laws, judgments, big and small, laws that affect every aspect of our existence. The transition from the Torah portion of Yitro, the previous parasha, in which we describe the momentous, dramatic event of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, the transition from that portion to this portion, the portion of Mishpatim, may seem a little bit like stepping out of a fantasy movie straight into a conference of lawyers. It's moving from this amazing description of the, this event of the giving of the Torah, with thunder and lightning and the divine voice being heard, to a list of long, detailed uh, laws, just a lot of laws, and that's the name of the parsha. Mishpatim means judgments or laws. So it's no wonder then that many, many people feel that Judaism, or generally religion, robs them or of their freedom. It seems in many people's eyes that religion and freedom don't go together, being uh, uh, obligated to observe commandments and not being able to do what you want doesn't go together. Freedom and, re and religion, right? Do they go together? And frankly, it is an open secret of Judaism. God says in the book of Leviticus, for the children of Israel are servants to me, they are my servants. The famous freedom that God offered the Israelites at their liberation from Egypt, right? the great exodus, which is from uh, slavery to freedom, uh, it was in reality a new form of servitude. We just moved from being servants of Pharaoh to being servants of God. The Torah says so very explicitly. It wasn't really so much a transition from a slavery to freedom. It seems more like a, a changing masters, moving from one slavery to another kind of slavery. Uh, that's how it seems. Now, the classic explanation for this is that servitude to God is not regular servitude. It is something absolutely entirely different from servitude to anything else in the world. According to the Jewish sages, the words in the, the verse that we said before, they are my servants, that's an, an addition to the verse. At the end of the verse, it seems to be redundant because it repeats what was said before. Right? The verse was, they are servants to me, they are my servants. So the sages have to explain why the repetition. So they say that they are my servants means and not servants of others. And the exact wording that they use is and not servants of servants. The idea being that all human beings, everywhere, always, are servants. We are, that's who we are. We always uh, work for something. We always are limited by a certain ideal or idea. And we're always servants. And the idea is that if, I'm, if I serve anything but God, I'm a servant of servants. And if I serve God, I'm a servant of the real master, something that's really real and eternal and true. That's the classic explanation. Um, the idea was repeated in the sages' commentary on the verse when, when Moses brings down the tablets, it says that the writing of God was engraved on the tablets. In Hebrew, it says, charut al haluchot, charut being the Hebrew word for engraved. But the sages gave a very radical interpretation of this. And they say, because the Torah doesn't have the vowels, you can read the words in different ways. So they said, um, don't read it as charut al haluchot, engraved on the tablets. You should read it as cheirut al haluchot. Cheirut is freedom. 
It's freedom on the tablets, not engraved on the tablets. And the explanation that they give is that the only person who is really, truly free is someone who dedicates himself to the, t- the study of Torah and the service of God. That is the person who is truly free. And they're very well aware of the, the paradoxical, uh, the way that it sounds quite paradoxical, because the Torah is commandments and laws and obligations, and it's engraved. Engraved is something that you can't move, you can't change. But they're taking that word, they're saying, listen, in Hebrew, it's the same letters, it's almost the same sound. Charut and Charut, it's not engraved, it's free. Don't think that your, your, your destiny is, is uh, written, engraved in stone and unmovable, unchangeable. You really are free if you go along with the Torah and the commandments. Um, and another person who said this in a beautiful way, the same idea, again, the same idea that serving Hashem is true freedom, was also said by Rabbi Yehuda HaLevi, greatest, one of the greatest um, medieval uh, rabbis, commentators, wrote the book of the Kuzari, and also was a great poet. And in one of his poems, he said, um, and this is sort of my translation, um, uh, with the help of my translator, we translated it together. The, the poem goes, The servants of time are slaves of slaves. A servant of God alone is free. Where every man asks his share, my share is God, says me. Okay, so this idea is pretty easy to say, to recite out loud, you know, and it is being said and recited and repeated endlessly in Jewish seminaries and schools and Jewish education. Uh, and everyone knows this, uh, the Yuda Levi sort of, uh, this idiom that Eved Hashem Hu Chofshi, the servant of Hashem, he alone is free. But it's more difficult to really understand it. And I would like to suggest here a, a new, another kind of method, a particular method that is widely used in fields like logic and mathematics. Uh, it's called proof by negation. Proof by negation is that you don't try to prove something, you try to disprove its opposite. And if you disprove the opposite, then that becomes true in some way. So I'm not talking about absolute proofs here, but I'm talking about something that could help us understand this notion that accepting the yoke of commandments, uh, which is on the surface limiting ourselves, could really be a state of higher freedom than not doing so. And so the proof by negation here will then will do this by examining what happens if we go in the opposite extreme and we turn freedom into the highest ideal, the supreme value, or even just a supreme value. That's something that's not subject to any higher value. It's not subservient to a higher value. Uh, except maybe allowing the same freedom to other people. And conveniently enough, uh, this experiment is already being conducted uh, for over 100 years in a very large laboratory, which is very nearby, and it's called modern liberal culture. And the results are coming in. And we can point to something very interesting that we wouldn't have foreseen maybe 100 years ago, but it's very much evident in our lives today. And that is that turning liberty, freedom, into the highest ideal has created three paradoxes. Paradoxes in the in liberal culture, really. So um, let's, let's go over them one by one. Paradox number one, I call this the tyranny of freedom. If the main message that is conveyed to us from all sides is that freedom is the highest value and that being free is the most wonderful and important thing there is, and that freedom fighters of the previous generations 
gave their lives to grant us the freedom that they never had. If this is the message we get from everywhere, basically, then what happens is there, there is really another additional um, implicit message. And that message is, you must enjoy this freedom. You have to enjoy this freedom. You have to make use of this freedom. If you don't do this, then you're missing out on life itself. It's, it's as if you're, it, it, life is not worth living. If you're not making use of all the new options and opportunities that have become available to you, this is the real, not explicit message that is projected from everywhere in liberal society today. Now, this imperative, like I said, it's, it's, it's never explicit. It can never be explicit because that would defeat the whole purpose, the whole idea, the whole concept of liberalism. The message would always be, no, no, no. You, if you want, you can make use of the freedom. And if you don't, you don't have to make use of this freedom. You don't have to go to all the parties and date all the girls or boys and, or try all the alcoholic drinks. You don't have to do anything. But we're just going to make you feel really bad about yourself if you don't do it. That's, that's how it works. It's not something, no one would actually force you to do anything. It is a liberal society. But because, again, the idea of liberty and freedom is the highest on the list, then the message is, the real message that people take in, kids, teenagers, is that if you're not exercising that freedom, if you're not making use of it, you're missing out on life and you're just, uh, you're just missing out. So to put it another way, the freedom that we have here is official. It's freedom on paper. No one would force you to do anything. But the truth is, the reality is, if we're looking at the bottom line, what's really happening in liberal societies, then many, many people uh, really have no real choice but to experience and to do things that they almost certainly wouldn't have chosen to do otherwise. It's only because they're pressured by society to do this because they don't want to be late. They don't want to be labeled heavy or hung up or missing out on all this. So this is paradox number one. There is a form of tyranny, the tyranny of freedom, which is not official, but it's really, really there, and we all know it, we all experience it. Okay, paradox number two. This is actually has a name, and it's the title of the subject of a book. It's called The Paradox of Choice. This is a book by Barry Schwartz, interesting book. And in this book, it opens, uh, in which the, the, the author, Barry Schwartz, describes how a simple outing to buy jeans turned into a stressful experience. So he, he comes into this uh, department store and then the, the salesperson tells him, do you want your jeans? Do you want them slim feet, easy feet, relaxed feet, baggy or extra baggy? <laughs> and, and then she goes on, says, do you want them stone washed, acid washed or distressed? Do you want them uh, button fly or zipper fly? Do you want them faded or regular? And drives him crazy. And he ends up buying a pair, but uh, it, it turned out to be a very time-consuming experience and also riddled with, again, quote from him, no small amount of self-doubt, anxiety, and dread, end quote. Schwartz demonstrates in his book that the natural tendency to correlate our degree of freedom with how many choices we have, that's how people usually see it, that the more choices you have, the more free you are, the less choices you have, the less free you are. That's how people, that's how we think. But he says this is false, this is wrong. Although some choices are certainly a requirement for freedom, if you have no choice, you, you don't have any freedom, that's true. But on the other hand, too many choices also sabotage your freedom. If there, when people today, they're overwhelmed by a variety of options, everywhere they go, if it's going to the supermarket, if it's uh, just opening up your cell phone, 
If it's, you go to a streaming service, you want to watch something, you're accosted by an overwhelming amount of choices. What happens is, is that it creates an effect of kind of paralysis. And even, uh, it, it's hard. And, and you experience this uh, stress and paralysis before you make the choice, as you're trying to make the choice, and, and even sometimes afterwards, because then you keep worrying, maybe I didn't do the right decision, maybe I should have bought another jeans, maybe I should have bought another uh, equipment, whatever it is. And it, it's, it's something very bad. It turns out that we need a certain amount of choices, but not too many choices. And today, liberal society is giving us an amazing amount of, of choices. And this creates the effect that's called FOMO. FOMO is the fear of missing out. And that's become like the, like the, the disease of the era, we can say, this FOMO experience that you're always afraid that you're missing out on something better because there's always so many options. This is paradox number two. Paradox number three. I call this the one experience that cannot be amassed or accumulated. Uh, so this is following from paradox number two. Uh, we can't experience everything all at once, but we can try to accumulate over our lives as many experiences as we can. To travel to all the places, and to date all kinds of people, and to try all kinds of foods and beverages and so on. And, and what happens is that we accumulate a lot of experience. We become more and more and more experienced and worldly, and we, we, we taste everything, we try out everything. But there's one experience that dwindles, that is, that is sort of running, escaping between our fingers. We lose it. We, 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 the more we accumulate experiences, there's one experience that we lose more and more, and that is the experience of innocence. There is, it's a kind of experience, the experience of not experiencing all kinds of things, the experience of being in, in one place and with one partner and in one spiritual path and not running restlessly, jumping between different paths and different people and different places. And the, this, uh, the, the quality of being, focusing on one place and going with it, that's something that we lose increasingly as we experience more and more things. And the one thing that you could say that a person growing up today, a teenager, growing up in the modern liberal world, he's very knowledgeable, he's, he's, he's seen, been there, done that, but he's also very, very jaded. Uh, there's something about him that he, the face, you can see young people today, in, you know, in, in um, music videos. And they're so young, their life is, in, is, is before them. They're, they're only like 20-something years old. They have so much to look forward to. But if you look at their facial expression, it's one of someone very, very cynical, very scarred, almost sometimes very old, bitter, uh, who's seen so much, who's been through so much, then he's lost basically all of his innocence. And that's what happens when you try to do everything then you, you, you're not able to do, really do everything. You're able to do almost everything. But the one thing that may, that's maybe is more precious than everything else, which is this experience of, of innocence, of, of, of being candid, being honest, being, uh, looking at things from a sort of really fresh perspective, not being jaded by so many experiences, that's something you lose. And in, inside this third paradox, you can say that it's not just innocence that's being lost. It's also the experience of depth of deepening into one thing. And we can give this metaphor. Let's say you're walking on a, on a, on a plane, large plane, right? Two-dimensional horizontal plane. You're walking around, you're wondering, you're going here and there, you're going everywhere. At some point you realize 
that other than going north and south and east and west and all over the place, there's also a vertical dimension. You can dig, you can, sorry, you can dig deep. Let's say you can dig a well to uncover, to reveal the hidden waters, uh, the groundwater that's hidden in, in, under the, the surface. Or you can maybe build a tower to the skies. Either way, this is the dimension of, of depth. And if you want to go deep, if you want to stop wandering around this horizontal plane and you want to start climbing or digging, the, the first thing you have to do is stop wandering around. You have to focus on one place and start digging there or, or, or start placing the foundations for your tower there or, you know, um, uh, lifting off in your spaceship, in your spaceship from there. But either way, you have to stop the horizontal wandering. You have to choose one place and work from there because in order to deepen, you need to focus. You need to choose one path, right? The, the classic parable for this is, is someone who wants to walk up a mountain. He's going around the mountain looking for the perfect path, but he never climbs, he never climbs the mountain. He has to choose one path and then he can start climbing the mountain. And that means that he needs to give up on all the other paths. This is an important big, big lesson in life that if you want to deepen, you have to focus and you have to relinquish other options. And it's the only way you're going to advance in life. And this is the third paradox uh, of, of liberty, that the more you try to do more and more, the more you try to accumulate all experiences and do everything, then you're missing out on the experience of innocence and you're missing out on the ability to deepen into one thing, into one path and, and going along with it. So these are the three paradoxes and this leads us to the conclusion the conclusion is that if all, all these paradoxes, they happen because we've, we've turned freedom into the highest ideal. Freedom is a very high ideal. It's very precious. What modern liberal society has given us is unprecedented uh, um, freedom of movement, freedom of speech. And it has also uh, given us prosperity that we haven't dreamt of before. But if we sanctify the idea of freedom and we turn it into the highest ideal, then uh, these paradoxes arise and they're like whirlpools in the ocean of freedom, the ocean of possibilities. There's an ocean of possibilities. But if we just dive into this ocean, then three whirlpools uh, await us and they're going to suck us in. And, they're and then this ocean of freedom will become an ocean of of, of the app of we're, we're, we're becoming enslaved to freedom. That's really what's happening. We're becoming enslaved to freedom. We're sucked into either one or all of these three whirlpools. And the reason all this has happened is that freedom is not an end. It's a means. It's supposed to, it, it opens the door for you. It takes off the shackles off your feet. It takes off the handcuffs off your hands. And it, and it liberates you in the sense that now you're free from all kinds of limitations. But there is another kind of freedom, a deeper kind of freedom. There's, there's freedom from, that's what liberalism gives us. But there's also a deeper kind of freedom, which is the freedom to. The freedom to realize yourself. The freedom to elevate yourself. The freedom to do what you were meant to do in this world. And, it, and that's freedom as a means to something else. So you need a higher value, a higher value system. You need to know what you want. You need to know what you believe in. You need to have a goal. You need to have a, a, a source of wisdom that guides you in your path. And if you don't have that, 
if freedom is not subservient to something else, it stops being our servant and it becomes our master. Liberal, liberalism, liberty, freedom becomes our master instead of our servant. So this is the meaning of the sayings that we said in the beginning from the sages, that there is no free man but the one who occupies himself with the study of the Torah. And a servant of God, he alone is free, in the words of Rabbi Yudha Alevi. The Torah is a system of laws and judgments. But it's, a law, it's laws and judgments, it's limitations, it's boundaries that are supposed to help us uh, avoid the paradoxes of freedom. It's supposed to be a higher value to which freedom is subservient to. And then we can bring out, and it's supposed to help us bring out the best in ourselves and connect to God, connect to our higher selves. And it seems to be restrictive. It seems to be paradoxical. But the truth is, it's supposed to save us from all these paradoxes. Because it's only when we have uh, a, a, a divine wisdom that is a, something that's higher than us and something that we feel that we are trying to live up to and it gives us a sort of a point on the horizon to strive for. This is the divine element, the divine presence in our lives. And all these limitations are really limitations that are, t- that are telling us uh, if you're going to try and do everything, if you try and, and um, you know, live out infinite freedom, you're going to be a slave. But if you relinquish some of this freedom and you accept these limitations, these boundaries, and you go with the path which is broad enough to allow for individual actualization, absolutely, but it's not too broad to allow for us being sort of lost in the wilderness, if we accept these boundaries, these boundaries become very liberating. They truly become liberating because we know that there are things that we mustn't do, we can do, and there are things that we, we're not going those places. And then we have a space that is a, like a space of sanity, a space that we can really truly be free in because on the one hand, we, we are given a, a breadth of options and, and ways to live. And on the other hand, it's not infinite and we're not trying to serve this abstract ideal of freedom. And then we can become truly, truly free. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you so much for watching this video. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Please leave your comment below. Also, if you like the video, like, subscribe to the channel, share it, and consider maybe becoming a Patreon to support these videos. Thank you so much.